Hey, um, a favourite verse of mine uh, just recently is Second Corinthians four seven. Um, and if you want to turn to that, Second Corinthians chapter four, and we'll read from verses five to ten. Treasure in jars of clay. Second Corinthians four verses verse five. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, this is Paul speaking, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Have you ever felt like you are not as good or as capable as many others, or that you have nothing to offer? Have you ever felt like you're, you're stuck in your circumstances and you are powerless to do anything about it? Have you ever been afraid of the fallout if you were to make a different choice? Let me introduce you to a guy who understood all those feelings. Meet Gideon, a young Israelite man who lived with companions of discouragement, despair, fear and intimidation. For seven years, the Midianites and an enemy tribe had waged war against Gideon's people, destroying their crops and stripping the land bare like a swarm of locusts. When, when, we, first be, uh, when we first become acquainted with Gideon in chapter 6 of Judges, we discover him threshing wheat in a winepress of all places. This is the last place and the wrong place to do this type of work. If we look at, um, if we turn to Judges if you want to, um, you don't have to, I can just read it for you. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiziorite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So in order to harvest grain, they needed to put it out in the open where the wind would separate the chaff from the wheat, tossing it into the air. Gideon was hiding in the winepress so he wouldn't be discovered by the Midianites. Gideon, like many of us, doubted his own abilities. He suffered so many defeats and failures that he even put God to the test, not once but three times. But the angel of the Lord knew right where to discover Gideon, just as he knows right where to discover you and I down in the wine presses of our own weaknesses and circumstances. Look at um, chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, 
Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So when the, the angel called Gideon, a mighty warrior, he told him that God wanted him to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. Gideon's response came from how he viewed himself. What did he say? Mike, look, look, at, look at verse 14 and 15. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least, of my fa- least in my father's house. So my clan, this is what Gideon says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And that's what Paul describes himself as, and us as being jars of clay, like Gideon, weak and fragile, opposite to the world's thinking. This metaphor that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 highlights how fragile and temporary we really are, just as Gideon saw himself. Think about how fragile and inferior a clay jar is. This is Paul's description of us. A piece of pottery like your plates at home, they are prone to breaking, easily chipped and cracked. Paul highlights his own loneliness like a jar made of clay. You know, back in his day where there were beautiful ornaments, um, he didn't describe himself as one of those, like a Grecian urn or a bronze vessel or a delicate goblet with gold inlay. Just earthen jars, small, cheap pottery lamps, as used in Paul's day. Everyone had one, objects of no real value or beauty. This image highlights our expendability. Clarges have no enduring value. They were cheap and not worth repairing and are easily replaced. But this clarges that he's talking about is an essential vessel. You and I are essential to God's work. God knows my frailties and he knows your frailties. He knows how temporary we really are. But God also saw Gideon, yes, as a clay jar, one with many weaknesses, but also as an obedient servant. If you look at verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Does God often tug at your heart, urging you to step out in response to his calling? But your fears and insecurities hold you back? We need to be willing to step up out of our self-imposed wine presses. Do we avoid those who come across our paths that need to hear the gospel, avoiding the ridicule and the embarrassment that we may face? God will be with you, just as he told Gideon he would be with him. He doesn't expect us to face our fears by ourselves. He is faithful and completely reliable to help us. In verse 34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the 
Abizirites were called out to follow him. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. In Hebrew, this literally means the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. He covered Gideon. What a beautiful picture of the Spirit at work. The same Holy Spirit who lives in us. Strengthened by God, Gideon faced his first fear to take a stand against the idols in his own life and the debauchery within his family. Look at verse um, 25 to 32. And, the Lord, and that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town, uh, because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they were, had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because this altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day Gideon was called Jerubba Baal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. You see, God allowed the Midianites to wage war against the Israelites because they had begun to turn away from him and worship other gods. Baal and Asherah were gods, made up gods, of course, uh, of fertility, those whose worship was rooted in sensual ritualistic debauchery in the temple, both male and female prostitutes. And we know these gods still thrive in our society today. What are the gods in my life and what are the gods in your life that need to be cleaned out and got rid of. We can sit in our living rooms and worship them on our televisions and computers or find them in many other areas and things that we allow into our lives. After God's call on Gideon's life, Gideon then summoned an army. 32,000 men showed up. Gideon had them set up camp near the spring of Harod, located above the 135,000 Midianites who were camped below. We see that in chapter 7, verse 1. And Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. Now this is real confidence on Gideon's behalf in his God. And it's in interesting to note that the spring of Herod means tremble and fear. And so God wants us to face our fears. And God made that clear with his army. He told Gideon to 
tell all those who were afraid to go home. And how many went home? 22,000 left. Verse 3. I wonder if you and I had been there. Would we have been numbered among the group that went home? That's a, a sobering question. It would have been easy for those soldiers to go back to family and friends, to the comfort of home, to continue in fear and doubt. I know on many occasions I would have been in that number. There's been many times out in the streets of Palermo when I just wanted to uh, retreat back home, especially when my life was threatened. And, you know, um, this gentleman was sitting on the old church steps re um, reading, and I went up to him, introduced myself, started sharing the gospel. The first, first time I mentioned Jesus, he looked up at me and said, if you don't leave, I'll, I'll slit your throat. And so... I stood there going, hmm, I'm going to stay or I'm going to go? I'm going. <laughs> so I briskly walked off to the next corner and I prayed. I prayed to God um, just for strength. And um, I felt like retreating. I felt like going home, crying on Sherilyn's shoulder. And it uh, might have been two or three days before I could get the courage to go back out. But I prayed and God answered my prayer. And on the next street corner, there were two... I. I said, oh, I've got to walk back past him to kill that fear. And I did, and he was looking down reading. And I went to the next street corner, and there were two Muslim men. And one of them was so interest, interested and asked many questions. So there God provided another opportunity straight away. So it's incredible when you call out to God to be with you and help you, how he changes your whole outlook. It is time to move our camps directly in the face of our enemies and not run away from our fears, our doubts, and our unbelief. You see, it was necessary for those to leave who weren't willing to face their fears because fear, as you know, insecurity and negative attitudes will breed and spread to those who are in close proximity. It's crucial for us to get excited and be zealous for our Lord's work so that we ourselves can get over our fears and insecurities, but more importantly, to share the beautiful, gospel, the beautiful gospel that people need to hear. Then God said to Gideon, the 10,000 men left were still too many. In God's wisdom, he wanted to be sure that the odds of defeating the Midianites were so great that the Israelites could not attribute a victory based on their own strength. Instead, they would know that victory came from the hand of God. And so their numbers were whittled down to a mere 300, 300 men. And God gave Gideon the strategy and the weapons for the warfare they were to wage. During the night, the 300 men positioned themselves around the Midianite camp. And with, with what? Get this, trumpets and torches inside clay pots. And when Gideon gave the command, they blew their trumpets, broke the pots with loud voices and waved their torches. And it gave the appearance of a huge army surrounding the Midianites who were so freaked out, they killed one another in utter fear and confusion. And those who were left ran, ran home. They fled. And I love the picture this portrays of, of us for us as Christians. We are those clay pots and the torch within us is the Holy Spirit. In 
back to our verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He is the treasure in us. And it is through our cracks and weaknesses that this light can shine forth to those around us. The more we allow ourselves to be broken before him, to be completely available to the Spirit, and the more we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, the more his power is released. We trumpet his word, we proclaim the gospel, and our work becomes more and more effective. We are encouraged to carry on with what we are called to do. God has given you and I power, his Holy Spirit. It's time to stop believing that God can never use you and begin to understand and believe that God wants us to be mighty warriors because he needs us to stand strong in a day when darkness is increasing. And we know that torches show up really well in the dark. So this dark world needs the light of the gospel. We can shine in this dark world for what? For God's glory. A rabbinic tradition, I found this, makes this comparison. Just as wine cannot keep well in silver or gold vessels, but only in the lowliest of vessels like clay jars, so words of Torah, the word of truth, do not keep well in one who considers himself to be the same as silver or gold vessels, but only in one who considers himself the same as the lowliest of clay vessels. And it, it was also the practice of eastern kings who stored up their treasure of gold and silver to fill jars of earthenware with gold, uh, coin and bullion or important documents. We see that in Jeremiah 32. And it is the same with us. In these frail bodies, these earthen vessels, we have this priceless treasure. The, contra the contrast emphasizes the priceless value of the treasure we have inside compared to our relative worthlessness. What these jars of clay contain is the only thing that gives us importance. Paul is not saying that we are cheap and worthless. We are certainly made in God's image and we are loved unconditionally because we have this very treasure within us who know Christ. The point Paul is trying to get across is that we are nothing without this treasure. We are of no value to the kingdom and to God's glory. But God chose what is foolish in the world. 1 Corinthians 1.27 He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. These verses clearly show that the treasure has nothing to do with the clay pot. It is to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The result is that no human being, including Paul, may boast before God. This glorious gospel works in those who are humble in heart and have run to Christ for salvation and makes themselves available by his Spirit so that the powerful gospel may be proclaimed. Like Gideon, without this treasure, we cannot bring glory to our God. 
And Paul admits to being like a cracked pot, one rejected and afflicted and subject to destruction. But his weakness and vulnerability is necessary to herald or proclaim the treasure of the gospel. All can see that the power he imparts for the salvation of the world does not derive from him, but from God alone. Paul says that he is most powerful when he is least reliant on his own resources and strength. This is also true of us. We are fragile, lonely, and expendable. This is vital for the Christian to understand. The Spirit cannot work in us if we do not empty ourselves of ourselves and let the Holy Spirit take control. Jesus stresses how personal his Spirit is. Jesus refers to the Spirit as he and him, not it. This is no impersonal spiritual commodity. So while it's true to say that the Spirit is given to, uh, to empower us, we are not to overlook that this power is himself personal. So this treasure cannot be utilized in a person that is proud and does not submit to the will of God. There's a quote here by Piper. Pride in all its manifestations is, most, is our most pervasive sin and the most dangerous to us spiritually. Anything God gives to us is humble and anything God gives us to keep us humble and prayerfully dependent on him is a great gift even when that gift causes us pain. And here we see clearly that God disciplines his children with affliction in order to protect them from having their joy destroyed by the sin of pride. Ponder that. Pain can protect us from pain. Redemptive pain can protect us from destructive pain. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, Paul says, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when a person receives this treasure, the light of the gospel indwells the heart, soul, and mind. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, Paul refers to the creation account in Genesis 1, 3, and 4. God said, let there be light. God has created light from nothingness at the beginning of creation is the same God who beams supernatural light into our hearts. We know that God, that the God of light acts quite differently from the God of this world. The God of this world blinds people and he keeps them in darkness and he hardens their hearts. Just as, Gideon, just as in Gideon's day when Gideon was hiding from the enemy and his own family were worshipping false gods, you would think he was the last person God would call upon. Gideon asked, how can I be used to save Israel? I am the weakest of the weakest. But did that stop the Lord, his Lord, from using him? Even though Gideon was slow to believe, once convinced of God's power, he was a loyal follower who obeyed the Lord's instructions. Just as Gideon and Paul were used mightily by God, so can you and I be used as well. So my, responsi my responsibility and your responsibility is to respond to the call of our sovereign God, to be used by him in whatever area of life or ministry he chooses for us so that many may hear the good news and come to Christ. 
Many may be encouraged in their walk with him. If you don't know the Saviour and you hear his call, run to him today. He is accessible right now. There is no prerequisites, no hoops you have to jump through. If you look for Christ, you will find him. And in him you will find everything else. If you haven't experienced God's love by trusting in Jesus who saves, trust him with your life and receive eternal life. I just added this verse this morning from Revelation. Let, this is the last part of the verse, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Eternal life is free. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This treasure, this person is to be greatly valued and highly prized. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To be embraced by Jesus is to simply open yourself up to him. That is all he needs. In fact, it's the only thing he works with. There's no need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your, burden, your very burden and sin is what qualifies you and I to come to Jesus. There's no payment required. He will give you rest, and his rest is a gift, not a transaction. Jesus draws, he heals, he embraces, and he, forgive the, he forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. So we find that the Christian life is found in a paradox, cultivating a perpetual emptiness, humility and confession, brings with it a perpetual fullness, not of self, but fullness of the Holy Spirit. So what can we learn from Gideon's story? God can work with a little bit of faith. And that God can work through anyone, even timid believers of little faith. A leader doesn't always have to be the boldest and the most extroverted. God often works through believers who think they come from the least of the least, like Gideon. When we're hiding from what scares us most, God compels us to tackle it head on. God wants us to trust him. Although God plays along with Gideon's fleece test, when it comes to the actual battle, he refuses to let Gideon have the luxury of a large army. Reducing him to the bare essentials of 300 men, they know they have to rely on God for victory. Let this be an encouragement in each of our lives, realizing that nothing is impossible for God and that we need to completely trust him. We can only hide in the wine press for so long before God pulls us out of our comfort zones and do his amazing work. No matter what the case, God will reduce our numbers down to 300. When he does so, we have to rely on him to do what we thought was impossible. God can accomplish great things through us if we forget our weaknesses, trust in the Lord, and follow his guidance. Remember, putting out a fleece or testing God is a sign of weak faith. Be strong, be courageous, 
and make yourself available to God who knows what is best for your life. We must stop hiding from God's call on our lives and like Gideon, respond, obey and defeat the enemy. Let's do the Lord's work wherever he may call you. Can I just pray? Father, we, we just love this story of, of Gideon and how you used him. He was afraid. He was hiding. You called him and he responded. He was obedient. And Lord, we just pray that, this is, that you will work in our lives in the same way. That you will, we will be available to hear your call and that we will respond. And it doesn't have to be overseas. It doesn't have to be in Sicily or Africa or in, in Asia. It, it, it can be right here. We can respond to your call to share your and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ right here in our own communities and in our own families. So, Father, give us the boldness and the zealousness and the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to share the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, the only one that saves. So give us, this, give us a, a greater love for you and help us to lean on you all, all the time. So we just thank you for this, this church, this, the encouragement they are in missions, and, and just bless each person here, we pray, in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.